Hi, I'm David Goforth, pastor of Grace Baptist Church. So glad that you're taking the time to listen to this podcast. And I want to let you know we're here to help you. If you have any questions, please visit our website, gbcwc.org, and contact us. We'd love to help. Take your Bibles, if you would, open them to Philippians, if you would. We're going to continue in our study of glorifying the Lord. I don't know what week this is in this, but this will be the last week, Lord willing. I believe that we'll be moving on to another subject, and I wanted to just finish. We talked about the practical aspects as far as the theological aspects of what it meant to glorify the Lord, to live with him before us, and, and to make sure that as we exist and as we live in our life, we're living to magnify, to exalt, to give weight to the wonderful person that our God is, that he is majestic in his person, that he is completely satisfactory beyond anything. That there's nothing that brings more satisfaction or more joy than him. And, that, and that's how we're supposed to live. And so what I want to do tonight is just give some practical things in, in, as we finish up. Because there are a number of things. If you just go through the Bible and study that word glory, you can get a lot of different ideas from different writers about different activities that you can do, that you can get involved in to give God glory. And I believe in the, in the actual points, if you were taking notes throughout the weeks, so I believe this is point seven. Uh, that we are on and we're going to go through 15. I know you say 7 to 15, it took you four weeks to get to 7. You think you're going to get through the next 8 in 1. It's going to be pretty quick because these are going to be practical steps that you can in everyday life stop and think, okay, here's a direct way that I can choose to glorify the Lord. Because in all of our life situations, we have that opportunity to say, okay, am I just going to live? Am I just going to get through this as best I can get through this? Or am I going to stop and I'm going to say, okay, how can I get through this as best to exalt Jesus Christ? Today in Grief Share, as we're meeting for our adult Bible group, as we're over there and as we watch some of the different videos, and it it has a number of different folks that just share their story. There was an unbelievably sad story that was shared today about a lady who found out that her, or when her baby was born, is born with Down syndrome, and the baby was not expected to live, but for just a few days. And as it turned out, in the Lord's direction for this particular family, her baby lived for 53 years. And after 53 years, her her baby passed away. But her family never, if I understand, and and they correct me, if this is, though some of you else were there in, in, in grief share, her family never recognized her, her child. Never when it was born, during its life, nor during its death. Nobody, nobody called when, when she lost her child at 53 years, after caring for her for 53 years. And I sat there, and my, my heart just broke, thinking of the struggle that must have been for those 53 years. And then to have lost her child at that point in time, and for the family to not even acknowledge that the child existed. To not even call and say, hey, we're sorry. And she made a statement that struck, because I, I knew that we were going to be covering uh, God's glory tonight, and we, were, and we were studying that still, and that was first and foremost on my heart as I was thinking. And she said, I decided the best way to exalt Christ was to pass over it so that I could reach my family. And I remember sitting there and thinking, there's a person whose God's glory put first. She didn't think, what do I deserve? what's, What's the right, what's the kind thing? She could have demanded a lot of different things, but she said, she literally said to exalt Christ. Uh, to, to make Christ big, to glorify. She didn't say to glorify God, but she said to give Christ weight. I decided that I was going to pass over that. 
with my family for the, to the, for the opportunity of, of exalting Christ. And so we're just going to look at some practical, everyday uh, situations that we can stop and take a step back and say, okay, now how can I exalt the Lord? So let's have a word of prayer, and then we'll start in Philippians 4, then we'll go to Philippians 1, and then we'll jump around to some other places in the, uh, the New Testament, and a little bit, we'll dabble a little bit in the Old Testament as well. We'll jump into Psalms, right? So let's have a word of prayer, and we'll get going. Lord, thank you for this opportunity to understand how we can take conscious decisions and turn them into things, Lord, that will point people to you, that will give you glory, that will teach other people who you are, how wonderful you are. Lord, how absolutely satisfying you are and the great God that you are. And I pray that you would teach us and help us to understand, Lord, not just in this moment as we sit here and take notes and think about it, but in the, the days and weeks to come as we have opportunities to put these different things into practice. Lord, help us to, to bring honor and glory to you. We love you. In Christ's name, amen. Are you there in Philippians 4? Let's look at verse 11. Paul, in writing to the church of Philippi, says, not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere in all things I'm instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Now, while this does not directly say anything about the glory of God, I believe one of the things that Christians can do in their practical, everyday, situational lives is learn to practice contentedness. Contentedness is something that often slips away from us when we have something that we want to avoid. I remember just a couple of days ago, and I was getting ready to preach on this. So I was thinking about it more than the average person would be thinking about this. And we were getting, we were down in wherever we were for the SCAX convention at, at Myrtle Beach. And a, uh, the hurricane was coming in and we were getting done with, bre- the, the, with dinner. And I said, hey, let's, uh, let's go ahead and put some gas in the car. The ladies were wanting to go shopping. They said, well, well, we'll put it in later. We'll put it in when we go out shopping. I said, okay, we can put it in when we go out shopping. So the next day, the hurricane was hitting 40 mile an hour winds, it was raining sideways, dogs, cats, you know, small cows flying through the air. I loaded the car up, went up there to start the car, to drive it down, to pick up my family, and immediately I began to struggle with contentedness. You want to know why? No gas. I looked at it and thought, good, I get to stand in 50 mile an hour winds. And and immediately, just that tiny little thing, I mean, that's a real big struggle for my family, isn't it? Right? Right? I mean, I don't have to go out and fight bears off or lions. I don't have to uh, ward off a barbarian horde. I've got to stand under a canopy while the wind is blowing and put gas in my car. But in that moment, I began to become discontent. I began to think, poor me. These aren't my rain pants. These aren't my rain shoes. I'm not prepared for this. Ah, I've got a child. I should make her pump the gas. That's what they're for, Amen. (laughs) instead of, okay, God, you you are the one that's in control. Now you realize, well, is God in control? Yes, he really is. If God wanted the gas to be in the car so that I didn't have to stand in hurricane force winds, (laughs) he could have done it. And we have to realize that the, the situations that happen in our life, God's hand is in control of everything. Don't get distracted by the person that cut you off in traffic. Don't get distracted by the teacher who gave extra homework or by the boss that gave extra responsibilities. Paul said, I've learned to be content. Why should we be content? Well, Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews says very clearly how we can be content. Let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. Why? 
because I'll never leave you or forsake you, Jesus says. The reason we as Christians can be content is not because of anything other than the fact that we have Christ. And so in your everyday life, practicing contentedness, being content when somebody gets into the express line with more than 10 items, being content when your waitress or your waiter forgets something in your order, being content when your child sharpens the Legos. I don't know how they did that. You know what I'm talking about? They would sharpen the Legos and leave them sharp side up so that you would walk across and get it right in the heel and it would go all the way through to the bone. Be content. Learn to be content with the situation. Practice contentedness. That is one way to glorify God. Number eight, rejoice. Rejoice in God getting the attention. This is an interesting, uh, turn back to Philippians chapter one. And we'll look at, at Paul rejoicing in something that many of us would have a hard time rejoicing in. Paul in Philippians 1, he's in prison, he's writing to the church of Philippi, and he says, I would ye should understand, brethren, that the things which have happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel. Paul is in prison, and he's saying, I wish you guys knew how much more the gospel is being preached now. You need to know that all the terrible things that have happened to me, because being in a Roman prison was not an easy thing. He said, this all has happened for the furtherance of the gospel. And Paul is excited about this. Verse 13, so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all other places. And many of the brethren in the Lord, waxing confident by my bonds, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Paul is rejoicing and saying, because I am being persecuted for my faith, there are many other Christians that say, hey, if Paul can do it, I can do it. And he's rejoicing in what God is doing. But he keeps going. And then he says in verse 15, sub indeed, Preach Christ even of envy and strife, and some also of goodwill. Then he has somebody in mind. He says, the one preach Christ of contention, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my bonds. He said, somebody is out there preaching the gospel, trying to make my life more difficult. Have you ever honestly thought, I think this person is just trying to make my life more difficult? Has anybody ever thought that? Okay, just a couple of you have. Some of you aren't admitting to it. Some of you have thought that about your own spouse. Some of you, I know you've thought that about your kids at some point in time or another. Do they get together and conspire? And Paul says, there's one who's preaching for the exact purpose of hoping to make my life more difficult. And what is Paul's response? This is amazing. He says, what then? Notwithstanding, everywhere, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. And I therein do rejoice, yea, and will rejoice. One of the ways that we can glorify God is to rejoice when God does get the attention. There are many times when there are people who are going to do things differently than you would want them to be done. There are going to be people that do things to try to cause difficulty in your life. But if it gives God the attention and it glorifies the Lord and it brings him honor, if it's done according to the gospel truth, then that's something that we could rejoice in. And so I want to encourage you not to look at the way that you would do things. Maybe you wouldn't have sung that song that way. Maybe you wouldn't have necessarily done that interview that way. Maybe you wouldn't have brought attention to it that way. Maybe you think, well, that's not the best way. I wish you would have. Take a step back and say, hey, did, did God get the attention? Did God get the glory? Well, then I'm going to rejoice and going to keep rejoicing. So practice contented. Rejoice when God gets the attention. Number nine is going to surprise you a little bit. Turn over to Joshua chapter 7. Joshua chapter 7, I want you to see this. This is an activity that gives God honor and it gives God glory. It's actually commanded to us in James as well. James tells us to do something that is not practiced very often in the modern church. It says, confess your faults one to another. 
and pray for one another that you may be healed. The modern church does not practice confessing our faults one to another. That is not a, an actual theological command that we are supposed to have a Baptist confessional booth where you step into and we say, okay, Deacon Jones is going to go in there and they're going to hear confession. That's not what it's talking about. It's talking about don't hide your faults, don't hide your sins one from another. And I'm not saying that we, we try to hide that, but a lot of times our culture says, hey, my religion is my business, it's nobody else's. That's not the New Testament Christianity. New Testament Christianity is your, your walk with Christ is this body's business. And we need to consider one another to provoke to love and good works. And wouldn't it be amazing if this church got to the point where we could actually pray for each other's struggles instead of worrying if somebody found out that we struggled. You know, it's amazing. Um, whenever I say something about, you know, about marriages sometimes having struggles, I never see the married people in the church go, And then look at their spouse and go, did he say married people have problems? And the other one look and go, I think he did. I, well, I'm not sure. And then they look back up and with this confused look like, married people have problems. You mean married people have problems? <laughs> I've never had somebody come to me after the service and say, I, I don't understand. You said married people have problems. What were you talking about? When do married people struggle? We understand that. We know that. I mean, I think all of us in this room know that married people sometimes struggle. But how many of us know enough about the struggles of our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ to be able to pray for them? Not generally. Lord, help the husbands not to be dumb. Lord, help them to make good decisions. But specifically, Lord, help Brother Dave in this. Help Miss Day in this. Help them as they try to unite their hearts together to glorify you. Give them victory in this. So often we hide, but there's actually an activity in glorifying God that is absolutely related to your sin. What is it? Look at Joshua 7, verse 19. Joshua said to Achan, this is after Achan has stolen everything and has hidden it in his tent, and God has delineated that it's Achan, it's the one that's done this wrong. Joshua said to Achan, my son, give, I pray thee, glory to the Lord God of Israel. Now, if we just stopped right there, we'd say, well, yes, everybody should give glory to the Lord God of Israel. But look at that next statement. And make confession unto him. And tell me now what thou hast done. Hide it not from me. And Achan answered Joshua and said, indeed, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel. And thus and thus have I done. Folks, confession of sin gives glory to God. When we recognize that our, what, that our sin is in fact sin. When we stop making excuses for it and say, well, that's just my Italian you know, blood that sometimes, that's just my Hispanic blood that sometimes gets boiling. Well, that's just the way that we did things. And we stop and we say, you know what, that, that was a sin, Lord. That was an affront to a holy God. Forgive me. When we confess, yes, God is faithful to forgive, but also that specifically gives glory to God by recognizing him as being the holy lawgiver and you being in need of his forgiveness. Revelation 16 says this. The fourth angel poured out his vial upon the sun, and power was given unto him to scorch men with fire. And men were scorched with great heat, and blasphemed the name of God, which hath power over these plagues. And they repented not to give him glory. 
There are some folks that don't realize how closely linked confession of sin is to giving glory to God. Now, I'm not saying that you should morosely go through life trying to figure out, oh, well, what did I do? I should have stopped and done this and, and try to make up sin. But it's amazing to me how many Christians, the confession of sin, it gets to the point where it's almost not a daily thing. It's like an every once in a while, sometimes before a revival or sometimes before going to camp or something along those lines where they don't stop and think about all of the different times within the day they lived independently of God. And if you will practice dependence on God and say, Lord, show me reveal to me search me O god see if there be any wicked way in me when we confess sins we glorify god so we can we practice contentedness we give god attention and we glory when he gets the attention even when it's not the ways that we would do it we confess our sin number 10 you praise and you worship the lord passionately now can i say something before i get into this passionately is different things to different people okay Don't think that worshiping God passionately means you're going to look like somebody else worshiping God passionately. Um, How many of you remember Tom Farrell? Okay, Tom Farrell, when he preached, I would say he preached passionately. Would you agree with that? That that was the way, double barrel Farrell, when he was preaching, you didn't normally sit there and say, hmm, I guess he's kind of bored with his message. I don't ever remember saying that. When Brother Farrell preached. But, but I remember talking to him at Pastor Kelly's funeral. He came up to me. And, and he said, David, I have been weeping. So I can't stop weeping. And I looked up at Brother Farrell. Now, I had been around people who had been weeping. And when I looked at Brother Farrell and he said, now, I've been weeping and I've been struggling. And I looked at him. I saw one tear trickle about an inch and a half down right there. And then it stopped. And I thought... Is that Pharaoh weeping? It didn't look like weeping to me. It looked like maybe allergies or something along those lines. But then I remember when he bowed his head with me and he began to pray and he began to cry out to God. I I could see, you know what, This, this is really, really affecting him. But it certainly wasn't affecting him the way it affected other people. When we talk about passion, it doesn't mean the outward look that other people can judge. It is you know your heart. You know why you are praising, why you're worshiping. Listen to these. You don't have to turn there. We're going to stay in the, in the New Testament. We'll go back to the New Testament in a little bit. Just listen to these different things from Psalm. Psalm 66. Sing forth the honor of his name. Make his praise glorious. Psalm 86. I will praise thee, O Lord my God, with all my heart, and will glorify thy name forevermore. Psalm 50. Whoso offereth praise glorifieth me. It is a sad commentary that many Christians often can get through a sing, a song service without even engaging their brain and literally singing praises to God. And they can sing about their faith finding a resting place. And they can sing about God's will never leading them to a place where the grace will not sustain them and just get through it without engaging their heart and engaging their brain. It's important that we should do that at church, but folks, it should be happening every day. It should be happening routinely where we stop and we praise God for the glorious God that he is and the wondrous gifts to us. So praise and worship passionately. Number 11, John 15. Herein is my father glorified that ye bear much fruit. Now it's interesting. He does not delineate exactly what the fruit is. We know there's the fruit of the spirit. 
We know that there is the fruit of lives being turned to Christ. There's the fruit of growth in Christ. You have the different things that Peter talks about being added to your faith, virtue, knowledge, temperance, all those things. And all of those different fruits, those are things that absolutely give glory to God. And how does it glorify God? It glorifies God when your spouse, when your children, when your coworkers notice that fruit being produced in you. I'm not asking you or challenging you to go and try to make this fruit and, and, and tape it on the tree and try not to get angry and try not to get, un- but to actually say, Lord, help me to show the, the peaceable, the, the fruit of righteousness. And John said, God's glorified when you bear much fruit. When God's word is at work in our heart and is accomplishing what he wants to do and that word accomplishes what it's supposed to do, you give glory to God. Here in Philippians 1.9, it says, This I pray that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and judgment, that ye may approve things that are excellent, that ye may be sincere without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ, unto the glory and praise of God. Being filled with the fruits of righteousness. This is the idea of not just having enough, but overflowing. This idea of absolutely getting as much as you can on the plate, as it were. Not just enough to get by, but being filled with the fruits of righteousness. Glorifies God for people to see you growing in the Lord. For people to see you progressing in your Christian walk. To see you getting closer. To see you growing in your love for others. To see you growing. And we all have different areas. We have some areas that we're strong in. Some areas that we're weak in. Uh, The Lord is burdening me in a couple of uh, specific areas that I'm very, very weak on. That I've given myself excuses for. That's not the way I was made. That's the way Day was made. I'll let her carry that weight in the family. My, my area of expertise is over here. I'll let Day jump in on that. And that's not what I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to grow and I'm supposed to bear these fruits. And we glorify God when we bear fruit. Next one. Number 12. 2 Corinthians 9. Turn to 2 Corinthians 9. And we'll look at that. This is when Paul was talking about getting the different um, collections together for the, for the saints that were going through a struggle there in Jerusalem. And he's talking to the church at Corinth about the importance of making sure that they're giving and they're giving to God. And he says in 2 Corinthians 9 verse 11, it says, Being enriched in everything to all bountifulness, which causeth through us thanksgiving to God. For the administration of this service not only supplieth the want of the saints. What he's saying is, by you participating in giving your generosity, church of Corinth, to these saints that you probably will not ever meet over in Jerusalem who are suffering because of the famine and the different things going on there. That's what he's talking about, this experiment or this administration of service. It's not only going to meet the needs of the saints, but is abundant also by many thanksgivings unto God. Here's what he's saying. Not only is your giving going to supply a need, it is going to increase the offering of thanksgiving to God because of your generosity. Verse 13, whiles by the experiment of this ministration, they glorify God for your professed subjection unto the gospel of Christ. As my children have grown up, and I believe they would testify to this, I haven't done it enough, but very, very frequently I remind them, girls, do you know why we're getting to do this? Do you know why we get to have this? Do you know why this is going on? Because people have out of their love for God, been willing to give up their hard-earned money and they give it to the church and your daddy gets paid. That's why we have this. That's why we get to do this. My girls will talk about, the very first time when we moved to Florida, 
we were trying to make sure that our daughters weren't overwhelmed with sadness. And so we, we started, okay, we need to do some things, try to make them happy. You know what we did? We let them get their own drink at the gas station. That's right, first time in the Goforth household. Up until that time, they shared two big drinks for the five of them. And they had to fight about it. Sometimes they'd get their own straw. You'd say, well, why would you do that? Just two big drinks. They would drink about half an ounce out of both of those two big drinks. But on the way down to Florida, we said, hey, you can get your own drink. And I remember the, wow, get our own drink. They still talk about it. Do you remember when we got our own drink? So those of you young families, remember, aim low, very early. It's much better to, to continue encouraging your children. And then I remember the very first time we got down there, and as a youth pastor, we were so well taken care of. And we had so many things that were gifted to us and that were given to us. But it was the very first year that I was there that they had a pastor appreciation something. And somebody came up and gave us enough money for my entire family, all 40 of us, seven of us, to go to, it was a steakhouse. Do you remember what steakhouse it was? Remember the big round table? It was Texas Road Longhorn something. Okay? And we were sitting there, and they were saying, okay, Dad, what can we get? And I, said, and, I, and, I, and I told them the amount that they could spend, and they went, whoa. And we stopped and said, girls, do you know why we get to do this? Because people love the Lord, and they express that love by giving to them. And now we get to sit in a restaurant. And let me tell you, there were a couple of girls that were sitting there, and when they found that they could order a steak, their eyes got real big. You abounded their thanksgivings. They started getting very, very excited about some of the different things that were going on. What Paul is saying is by your generosity, you giving to the Lord's work causes thanksgiving. And what does that thanksgiving do? That thanksgiving, the, the experiment of the ministration, verse 13, they glorify God for your professed subjection to the gospel of Christ and for your liberal distribution unto them. It's directly linked to the thanksgiving. So be generous. Let me encourage you to be generous in, in giving and in, in letting Folks know, hey, here's why. I don't think you should treat the church just as a tax write-off. I don't think you should treat the church just as, well, this is something we need to do to make sure that we keep our tax liability. I think you need to be generous. You need to express as a part of your worship of the Lord, but also realizing that this is increasing God's glory because of the thankfulness that it will cause in others by your reaching out and ministering to them. Let's go to 1 Peter 2. We'll keep moving. 1 Peter 2. Verse 12 says, having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. And for this one, I wrote, one way to glorify God is to be a good, and I left it blank. Some of you are an insurance salesman. Some of you are an air traffic controller. Some of you are, you do different things. Well, do that to the very best of the ability that God has given you, be the best worker in your place so that when they behold your chaste conversation, they think, wow, their God must be something special. Whatever it is, if God's placed you on the starting lineup of your team, be the best starter you can be. If he's placed you on the fourth group that goes in, that gets to play once every three years, be the absolute very best fourth row in that goes in every three years. Make sure that your testimony gives God glory. They say they behold your chaste conversation. So be a good worker. Be a good neighbor. Be a, be a good homeowners association member. Make sure that you give God glory by 
doing the best, having that honest conversation. Two more, and we're almost finished. First Peter 4. I want you to turn there if you have your Bibles. I want you to see this. Because we've studied this, and this is a big deal, and I, and I want you to see it. And then the last one, 15, we'll finish up pretty quickly. It gives God glory. First Peter 4. We've talked about this, and we've actually gone through this a couple times in church, but I want you to see this link to the glory of God here. Okay? In 1 Peter 4, look down to verse 11. Paul is talking about spiritual gifts. And he says, if any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. We talked about the two different categories of spiritual gifts. What are the speaking categories of spiritual gifts? Does anybody remember? The spiritual gifts that primarily are speaking gifts. There's prophet, teacher, So many people are speaking at once. This is a rare problem. Wow. So many people are speaking at once. I couldn't pick one thing out. Praise the Lord for that. Okay. So we've got prophet, teacher. What was the next one? Administration. Okay. You have these speaking. It says when you speak, you speak like God is speaking. Speak as the oracles of God. The exhorter would probably also be, and somebody probably said that. The exhorter would also be one of the speaking gifts when you're coming and you're, you're speaking to that person. If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. Look at the next one. If any man minister, these are the non-speaking gifts. This is the mercy. This is the servant. Okay? These are the folks that aren't necessarily going to be using their voice to exercise their spiritual gifts. They're going to be using activity to exercise their spiritual gifts. So if you speak, speak like God would speak. Then secondly, if any man minister... Let him do it as of the ability which God giveth. Now, if it just stopped there, that'd be enough for us. Amen? It, God's given you gifts. Use it the way God has given it to you. But what's the purpose of those gifts? Here's an amazing thing. That God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ. The reason, now we get so much joy from using our spiritual gifts. We get so much joy from exercising those spiritual gifts. But one of the reasons why I want you to actively pursue and figure out what your spiritual gift is, is because when you do your spiritual gift under the Holy Spirit's power with the way that God has designed you to work, you make your God a big deal. You give people a good impression of who your God is. You give weight to what your God does. You glorify God through those gifts. That is why. It's not just, well, I'm not really into the spiritual gifts. I'm just going to make up my own. And God gave me the spiritual gift of banana pudding. Now, I've had some banana puddings that were close to a spiritual gift, but that's not actually a spiritual gift. Okay? Hospitality is not actually a, a spiritual gift. And, and sometimes we will stop and we'll say, well, I don't really understand it. Don't really, don't really get it. Don't really want to know. Listen, if you're not sure, continue to pursue that because that is one of the ways that God has precisely designed you to glorify him. And then lastly, and we're finished, 2 Corinthians 4. You don't have to do this. We've already kind of touched on this when we looked at generosity. Your generosity causes others to be thankful to God because thankfulness glorifies God. So the last one, live a life of thanksgiving. 2 Corinthians 4, for all things are for your sakes, that the abundant grace might through the thanksgiving of many redound to the glory of God. The Bible tells us to be thankful for all things and to be thankful in all things. There is no way to get around the fact that everything that happens to us and in every situation, thankfulness should be one of the reactions. And not necessarily the thankfulness of, well, at least it's not this bad, or I guess it could be worse. 
but the thankfulness of, okay, God, I know that you have designed this specifically for me. I know that you have empowered me specifically to be able to go through this, to be able to give you glory. Lord, thank you for whatever it is that you're going through. It's easy to thank God for the fun things that we recognize as fun. But those battles, those struggles, those difficulties, sometimes in faith, we have to be thankful. And we have to say, God, I don't see the, it's easy for me to say thank you for the good things, but the difficult things, I don't see it. But Lord, I know you'll never leave. You'll never forsake. I know that you're in control. I know that you have a plan. I know that nothing can separate me from the love of God. And in faith, I will be thankful while in the midst of this. And while being thankful for what God has bringing you through, it gives glory to God. Now, these are just a few. We could literally probably spend another couple of nights just going through what are some different things that you can practically do. But let me encourage you from what we've talked about tonight, pick one or two. Maybe contentedness. Maybe developing spiritual gift. Maybe generosity. Maybe, like me, maybe you've gotten into the habit of giving. Setting out and saying, okay, this is what we can, this is what we're going to give every month. This is what we're going to do. And you get into the habit of almost like, and I've even heard people say, well, oh man, I haven't paid my tithe. Don't pay your tithe like you pay your S-C-E-N-G. Wait, it's not them anymore. Dominion. Like you pay your dominion um, bill. Uh, be generous. But, but pick one or two of these things and say, Lord, help me to grow in this area. And in growing in that area, that will be one of the ways that the Holy Spirit will produce fruit that will give honor and will give glory to him. Let's stand to our feet. We'll close with a word of prayer. We do have a business meeting tonight, so we'll close with a word of prayer. Diana, can I get you to come to the piano? And what song did we sing for handshaking time, Brother Dave? It was so long ago, I can't remember. His name is Wonderful? His name is Wonderful. All right, so we're going to have a word of prayer, and then we're going to sing His name is Wonderful. If you're not a church member, you don't need to be at the business meeting. And if you would like to go, then we will sing His Name is Wonderful. I give you a chance to step out. And then we'll have, we have one item for the business meeting tonight. And we'll get right to that after we sing His Name is Wonderful and give our guests. Now, if you want to stay, you can. All are welcome to stay for the business meeting. You're welcome to be a part of that if you'd like. All right? Let's have a word of prayer. Lord, we thank you for the privilege of being, Lord, the testimony of your goodness and grace here on this earth. Lord, you've given us a, a weighty job to make people understand who you are to give weight to who you are, to, Lord, magnify who you are, to elevate in their minds. And so, Lord, I, I ask that we would find joy more than accomplishing that for which we've been created to do, that which we're going to spend eternity doing. Lord, and when we experience the, the best joy we'll ever experience, Lord, we will be giving glory to you. So, Lord, help us to enjoy that now as we exist here in this plane as we exist here on this earth, Lord, give us a burden, a burden, a true burden to honor and glorify you. Lord, we love you. In Christ's precious name, amen. All right, his name is wonderful. We'll sing that. Dismiss, folks, and have our business meeting. His name is wonderful. His name is wonderful. His name.